Hello, humans, and welcome to Sinister Soup, the show where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of ridiculous conversation, dice rolling, and sometimes beer. Beer! Today, we will be giving you another spooky season selection. Um, we opened spooky season with good old Stephen King, the king of spooky season, some may call him. And today, we are going to be doing a George R.R. Martin book. I don't know how many of you know that he writes horror and science fiction along with his fantasy series Game of Thrones, but he does. And Mm -hmm. today we'll be talking about his vampire novel, Fever Dream. That we will. And uh, in case you didn't know, if you're new to the show, I'm Clay Vermolem. And I'm Travis Vermolem. And we are hosting this Sinister Soup podcast Um, Our show is chunked into three distinct segments. Our first segment is always called Bring Some Culture, where we shout out somebody in the cultural or creative landscape or sometimes even the educational fields or business fields that we think are doing cool stuff that people should know about. It's really just a shout out section of the show. So Travis, what did you bring for culture this week? Uh, I am in the educational realm this week. So as you loyal listeners who've been with us since the beginning probably know I am a master's student currently in uh, theology and ministry part of that being biblical studies and for anybody who has ever done biblical studies you know how important the Greek language is the ancient Greek language that and Latin are really kind of things you need to know to really get the full extent of biblical sort of learning and so the thing i discovered recently is a website called dailydoseofgreek.com. It is run by a professor, I believe, named um, Benjamin Merkel and another professor named Robert Plummer. They both have their PhDs from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and are professors of New Testament studies. And they've made this website for people to learn ancient Greek for free. Um, And they have a book that goes with it, but you can take their lessons without the book. You don't necessarily need it. They have a bunch of tools that you can use to like read along with New Testament and Greek. And they kind of like highlight the Greek words and tell you the pronunciations and such. Um, It's super helpful tool and just kind of like online Stanford lectures that I advertised it's just cool to have stuff out there that is like college level education on a subject that is very niche sometimes but awesome to have for free that's really cool usually to learn greek you pretty much have to go to a college Mm -hmm. so having access to that is uh yeah that's pretty amazing really it's a language that it's not like you can uh in high school like choose greek (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most places like, like at a private school, but I mean, you, you can't even learn this type of Greek like just going to Greece. I mean, it's like ancient Greek is a totally different alphabet and kind of like has its similarities. But I had a friend describe it to me as it's the difference between Old English and English. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, like you say, it's it's something that has to be done through schooling, and like to have it for free is awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. And I mean, Greek is like Latin, you know, it's the foundation of so much of our language. And it's really cool when you learn those old languages, how much of our language you can like piece together from it. It's mm-hmm. really interesting, like reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What are you bringing this week, bro? Well, I'm going to stick to the uh, kind of the educational 
uh, side of things as well, but more on the writing side and writing and publishing industry side, as I am wont to do. One of the best podcasts that I've ever found, and this is not something that nobody knows about. This podcast is very popular, but I'm bringing it up just in case you don't know about it and you're a writer seeking to publish your work or anyone really trying to get into the creative writing field. It's called the Creative Pen Podcast. Mm-hmm. It's uh, curate, uh, hosted and curated by Joanna Penn, who is a very successful thriller author. She's been publishing thriller books since like 2012. Um, and she's an English author. And she publishes books. You'd probably actually like her stuff. She publishes books with uh, kind of a religious bent. Oh, cool, cool. Um, she is a theology major in college she is not a christian but a lot of her books have a theological basis Mm -hmm. um in fact she had to like rebrand her entire first series because they all had kind of like religious titles and then people who read them were like this isn't christian (laughs) (laughs) um and she was like that's true it's a thriller Um, that is uh, is a fair assessment um but anyway aside from being an author she runs the creative pen podcast which is all about how to be a successful indie publisher in all kinds of different facets of what that means. She covers everything from how to successfully create audiobooks and audio content to how to market yourself, to how to go wide with indie publishing, to how to build worlds, build characters, literally anything you could think of. She's made like 500 episodes by now. Wow. Um, She's always interviewing awesome authors and fellow creatives and audiobook narrators. And just you really can't find a better self-publishing podcast out there, in my mm-hmm. opinion. On top of that, Joanna is a very, very bi- uh, important part of the indie author community. And she has been since 2012 when when she started like really getting into this podcast and publishing stuff. So, yeah, again, it's a popular podcast. It's well known. But I only recently found it because I'm not really a podcast guy. And it's been an invaluable resource. So if you're an author or anyone trying to get into the creative writing publishing world, the indie publishing world, um, Joanna Penn's Creative Pen Podcast is a resource that you you should not be doing without. Awesome. I mean, yeah, I'm sure like you, I can't speak to it as much as you, but like, the writing process is such a grind it seems like and just to have that source of like content you can go to to get someone else talking about the process i feel like that would even be valuable if you're not even looking for advice per se but just to hear like oh yeah this is the struggle <laughs> like mm-hmm. public, yep, this is what people go through definitely um as a matter of fact <laughs> she just wrote an entire book on that exact thing uh, <laughs> it's her newest book it's called the relaxed author um, she wrote it with another author who uh, I'm not as familiar with, and I'm totally drawing a blank on his name. Mm-hmm. But the relaxed author is all about like um, self-publishing and not having anxiety about the whole writing process and the writer life and mm-hmm. not giving up on it. So, yeah, uh, if you need that, she's got a book on it, too. All right. That's you got two educational sources there, people. You're looking for something to learn a little bit about writing and publication and bond over the the struggle then you got that and if you want to learn biblical greek which i know that's not for everybody but some of you out there you might want to do it you got a source for that so Mm -hmm. 
Now I think I think it's time to to roll some dice. Uh, almost. First, <laughs> first we have to come up with a uh, trivia question. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So I'm just so dice happy. Like I just wanted to roll some dice, bro. I, I love rolling dice. Like I'm ready, but. Also, I I think we should talk about the book a little. (laughs) Yeah, we're also going to kind of like talk about the book. So (laughs) since you did Pet Cemetery, I guess I'll do Fever Dream. Um, And that should give you time to come up with a trivia question for me. Okay. That'll do it. I can do that. All right, cool. So if, uh, as Travis said, a lot of people know George Martin for the Song of Ice and Fire, which is the fantasy series that inspired the HBO show Game of Thrones. Um, But what a lot of people don't know is that George Martin, actually, the majority of his work is not fantasy. The majority of it is sci-fi, and a lot of it is also horror. Um, One of his most uh, successful horror novels is Fever Dream, which is a really cool concept about vampires in the deep American South on a steamboat it is one part ode to the era of the steamboat and one part creepy vampire story um and i guess another part like socio-political examination of the deep south and and the problems therein represented through this monstrosity and supernatural forces that uh that plague it in this novel so yeah uh the story's about abner marsh who's a steamboat captain he is contracted by a a strange mysterious patron who hires him to captain the steamboat uh for like a really good salary and abner marsh is sort of a washed up captain he used to have a bunch of boats like three boats but they've all fallen under bad luck and hard times, and he's kind of on his last limb. So he gets this crazy offer to like pilot this really awesome steamboat, and he is a very experienced captain, so he feels confident enough to do that. He uh, he literally gets the money he wants to like build the boat exactly how he wants. Um, and this patron is happy to like give him control of all the boat stuff. The only uh, uh, contingency is he has to follow um, his patron Joshua York. He has to follow Mr. York's very strange schedule, which is stopping at locations that aren't necessarily beneficial to trade, kind of really taking their time going up the river, which if you know anything about the history of steamboats, which you can learn in Fever Dream if you don't. Like the speed that a speedboat or that a steamboat can get up the river and make its deliveries and drop off its passengers is kind of its bill of sale. It's kind of like what they go for. It's like, oh, this boat can get from Mississippi to St. Louis in such and such a time. So it's the boat you want to ride if you're a passenger because it's super fast. They build this awesomely fast boat, but then Joshua York's super weird schedule is always slowing them down. So Abner Marsh quickly loses patience, starts questioning things, and then he starts uncovering really strange uh, things about his employer. And I won't say any more than that because this is a book you should read. Mm-hmm. All right. And the trivia question for you. The book Fever Dream takes place over actually quite a long period of time. Like by the end of it, there's there's a big section where years skip and the steamboat industry starts to go 
kind of south and downward. Um, so I think it's like a 15 year span throughout the book. But what year does the book begin in? In what year does Joshua York approach Abner Marsh? Is it 1852, 1861, 1853, or 1857? I'm going to say... What was the first one? What was A? 1852. So 52, 57. I think it's one of those. Um, I'm going to say 1857. You are correct. Yes! <laughs> I knew it was really close to the Civil War and that the book ends after the Civil War, so. Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that means you get advantage. So now we're going to roll some dice to see who is defending Fever Dream and who is decrying it as a useless piece of dribble. Right. We call this section forced entrollment. Indeed. Um, because the lower roll has to be a troll and the higher <laughs> roll gets to defend against the nasty ugly troll and their terrible opinions all right do your double roll bro i'll do my single okay what'd you get 17 oh i got a 13 not a bad one but not good enough not good enough all right so you are giving us the defense the timer starts now all right. Well, first of all, this book is written by George Martin, so that's a pretty pretty solid defense in its own right. Uh, George Martin is a master of the craft on par with any other master you could name. He's one of the greatest authors of our generation, if not the greatest. He's my personal favorite author. So I've read literally everything he's written. That is is readable anyway. I'm sure he's written millions of things that have never been published. But this, aside from The Song of Ice and Fire, is far and away my favorite book ever written by him. And it is just amazing. I mean, the setting, I'm a big fan of horror and settings, horror in settings that are unconventional. And though horror is often set in the Deep South, it tends to be like zombies or ghosts usually it seems like um at least that i've read and it was really really fun to do a story that was vampires in the deep south that wasn't like abraham lincoln vampire slayer um the vampire diaries is also in the deep south <laughs> oh is it i haven't watched that um but this predates the vampire diaries by a long time yeah so yes. i'm gonna say that's irrelevant <laughs> um i also <laughs> I also love one thing that George Martin does better than a lot of authors is he really, really does his homework on anything he chooses to use as subject matter. And that is really evident in the history of the Deep South and especially the history of steamboat culture in this novel. I learned so much about steamboats from this novel <laughs> that I never would have otherwise known. Like. It's one of those things that kind of breeze over in history classes a lot of the time about like it was part of the Industrial Revolution and it was big for a while, but it's kind of gets quickly replaced by better technologies. Um, but the steamboat culture just exploded when it first came out. 
and it was such a huge part of the American uh, of the American industry in that uh, you know 1800s time period. Uh, and it, until the railroad came along, it was by far the fastest way to move west into the rugged American uh, lands that were sort of still being settled by uh, Eurocentric colonization. So learning more about that culture was really awesome. And then on top of that, you have this extremely compelling, extremely well-written relationship between Abner Marsh, who is like an old school steamboat OG, (laughs) and uh, Joshua York, who is like basically vampire Jesus. And uh, it, it was, um, yeah, there's really just not much to not like. Like, I love the evolution of their relationship. It starts off as this strange, like, I don't know what this guy's up to, but I'm pretty sure he's murdering people. And they do a good job of, like, veiling that so that you as the reader think that. But then as soon as uh, Joshua York gets confronted, he's like, all right, you said you weren't going to do this, but since you're doing it anyway... I'm going to tell you the story. And then you realize that Joshua York is like trying to create an alliance between vampires and humans. And like I said, he's kind of vampire Jesus. He's he's kind of trying to uh, save his people by sacrificing himself and by by creating this elixir that they can drink instead of blood. And I thought it was a really cool a conflict between him and then like the other vampires who were like, no, actually, blood's pretty dope and we're going to keep drinking it. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, good points. Good points. I have two main problems with this book. One, it had three endings, and they got (laughs) progressively worse every time. So I read it on Kindle. So um, first off, I don't I don't love reading on Kindle, but for people who are like, how could you dare? How could you read on a Kindle? Travel a lot. All right, and then tell me you don't read on a Kindle. It's great. (laughs) So I read this on a Kindle. And Kindle doesn't really have that like physical look that you can look at the book and be like, oh, wow, I have this much left. So as I was reading it, I literally got to the first inning and was like, man, I got to be close. And I clicked the screen to see like how many pages I had left. And I was like three quarters of the way through. And I was like, what? Where is this going? Because um, Hmm. it's not like the first ending. I called it first ending isn't like definitive but it was a great sort of little stopping point where joshua yark kind of separates from uh abner marsh and they have like not the best separation but one that gives a little bit of enough closure and you know like york's off on his mission and abner marsh is kind of like falling down with the steamboat but then you get this long drawn out sort of like death of the steamboat industry and these writings about abner marsh like wondering where joshua is and it just slows the pace down of the book so much and then york comes back and you're like okay here's the ending and york and him and abner marsh confront the main villain damon julian and i was like okay that's a george martin ending like (laughs) (laughs) i was like here we are like they're the main characters aren't gonna like make out well there's probably gonna be some sort of happiness in there but we might not get Abner Marsh and Joshua York walking away from this alive. And then I looked at the chapters again and I'm like, oh, wow, I still have like a good half of this back quarter left. What is going to happen now? And you get another sort of ending of like, so what happens in the last quarter of this book 
is yes it's a great build-up great character development and then you get chop 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 and the pacing just plummets so i read at a breakneck pace until that first ending what i call it and then after that it was like slow down okay huge action and here's this another false ending and then slow down okay and then finally huge action again and here's the ending and by that third one i was just didn't have any amount of satisfaction that the book was over i thought it had ended twice already i was ready for it to be over and that's kind of a sour taste in the mouth. so that's my biggest sort of critique my other one though is it's it, it was sad reading george martin not bringing much original lore in because i think one of the things that's so great about game of thrones is that it has very original takes on tropes that we're used to in the fantasy genre uh, especially like not really having a significant magic system uh, having these like ice zombie things that we've seen before but we haven't seen them like we did game of thrones has a lot of stuff that's like i've seen that before but it looks different than this and i like how it looks fever dream the vampires don't they're just kind of your standard dracula affair they're in their coffins where they're bringing their dirt from home they're all very suave charismatic hot people who are like hanging out and having like sexual encounters where they're drinking blood and i, I just i didn't feel like that was the strongest martin has come in like laura building because i think he's usually in what i've read of his other stuff he gives you a lot of things that like that is a thing i'm used to but it's wearing an awesome new skin and in this, the vampires were just vampires, like every other vampire I've ever read. And nothing really original was done with them. I don't really agree with that. I mean, there was quite a bit of original stuff in there. It's about like the White Walkers. Like, it's pretty hard to do original zombies. Uh, and they, you know, they kind of did like the hive mind zombie idea where if you kill one, then they all die, just like Murdral and Trollocs, you know? So. I think it was just as original as the White Walkers were because the vampires, first of all, are not like turned humans. They're a whole different species. And then they could only be killed by, I can't remember exactly, but was it removing their heads? I think so. Or something. I think yeah. so. Which that's not original per se, but you know, it's different than a lot of, a lot of things do it. Um, and the sunlight, of course, could kill them. Um, those are kind of like so ingrained in vampire lore that it's kind of like trying to do zombies like without going, well, are they fast zombies or slow zombies? You know, they're usually going to be one of the two. Um, yeah. Vampires are like, well, are they headless? Are they head zombies and sunlight zombies? Or are they like, can they be killed by crosses or uh, vampires? I mean, or can they be killed by like crosses and holy water too? Or does silver kill them? Whatever. There's, the there's kind of, oh, be of the week. <laughs> I think you got me on that that debate for sure. You had some strong uh, arguments there. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was just kind of like fanboying about it. Because <laughs> I, I, I kind of like, I walked into this saying like, oh, Clayton's going to be fanboying so hard. He loves George Martin so much. I mean, this would be like, <laughs> this would be like if, if Robert Jordan wrote a horror novel and I had to like, yeah, I, I love Robert Jordan as much as you probably love George Martin. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, we all have our fanboy authors. Yeah, yeah, you have me on the on the ropes in this one. <laughs> all right, what are you drinking this week? Well, I am drinking Stellar's J 
from Black Raven Brewing Company. All right. But uh, they're best known probably for Trickster IPA, at least in this state. I don't know about uh, probably not on the East Coast, but even in this state and even in Montana, Trickster IPA is like one of the IPAs that you'll commonly find on tap if a bar mm. has IPAs. Mm-hmm. Well, but Stellar's uh, J is a uh, sorry, I didn't say it's a it's a dry hopped lager. Mm. So and they did it in conjunction with Zeke's Pizza which is a pretty popular chain out here too. Mm. Um, it's like Subway, but for pizza. And it's it's actually really good. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're a fellow Pacific Northwest chain that teamed up with Black Raven for this particular beer, Dry Hopped Lager. Right on. Well, I'm drinking um, Electric Boat Company by the Forgotten Boardwalk Brewing Company in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which... I don't know how I'm going to like this, but even if I don't like the beer itself, the location was really kind of cool. It was really trippy. It was like mm. all circus themed. All, <laughs> of the, all of the like names of the beers were weird circus names like Electric Boat Company. It had like games and most of its venue was outside and they didn't have food, but they like allowed you to order food from anywhere and just have it delivered to their location and just eat your food inside. Yeah, it was cool. Their logo is a three-eyed cat. All right. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Oh, and it's a Vienna lager. Ah, okay. All right. It's all right. It's not my favorite. It's very caramely. Mm. Um, kind of has like a darker grain taste, which normally I like, but it's, I don't know. Yeah, I like it though. It's just not, not like my go-to type of dark beer. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, fair enough. This is a, this is pretty much a lager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty middle of the road. It's a little bit hoppy, but, you know, also pretty light. Definitely mm-hmm. not, like, too bitter. So, yeah, I like it. I don't know. Lager is, like, pretty much... When I think of, like, a beer, like what beer tastes like, I think of a Pilsner or a lager, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, this is that. It's, like, the flavor profile of any light beer you've had, like a, like a Budweiser or something, but way better because it's made by Black Raven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good. I would drink uh, a 12-pack of this, no problem. Right on. I guess I, I attacked, so I, I reveal what I actually thought of Fever Dream, yeah? Mm-hmm. I like this book, I do, but I also wasn't lying. Um, mm-hmm. I very much enjoy the atmosphere. I think Martin does a really good job, especially with his descriptions of, like, Joshua York, of setting up that classic vampire atmosphere which i will say maybe i'm aligning a little bit about that i wasn't super disappointed that i do think most of it was very tropey but i like the vampire tropes <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know whenever you try and change them you run the risk of like twilight happening um, yeah yeah so <laughs> i wasn't mad i do think he was pretty run-of-the-mill vampire but that was fine um and i, I think- agree I think Joshua York scenes with him were like, I remember what I've read this book a long time ago, like two summers ago, but I remember very distinctly the first scene when he tells his story and how Abner like comes into his room and it's like pitch black 
Mm -hmm. you just get like this one lantern turns on and you see joshua's face and he's all like sucked in and hasn't drank blood for a while so he looks like a monster and Mm -hmm. that description was killer and martin does that throughout this whole book but i remember we had this conversation a while ago we think he wanted to end it grizzly but his mm-hmm. but his editors wouldn't <laughs> let him because that's what it feels like. It feels like the first ending was the ending. Like it wasn't happy. It was grisly, but Joshua York was still alive, and you kind of just were left guessing, like, oh, is he gonna come back and do his elixir? And his editors mm-hmm. were like, George, you can't end there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tried to do it again and like have everyone die, and they were like, George, you still can't end there. That's what mm-hmm. it felt like mm-hmm. to me of like. Okay, fine. I'll write another ending. Oh, you don't like that one either? Okay, fine. I'll have them live. Are you happy now? Can you publish the book? Um, <laughs> that's what the ends of Fever Dream felt like to me. Yeah, and I agree with you about the three ending things. It it totally does feel that way. Like the first one feels like wh- how George Martin would have ended it if mm-hmm. he published it himself. The second one was like a George Martin ending still, but it's like it's also like acceptable to mm-hmm. the common to the common layman. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I love the setup for the second one where they stage the race, you know? Oh, yeah. They stage yeah. the steamboat race, or Joshua York tells Abner, like, oh, we're going to race. We're going to race with the fever dream, and we're totally going to do it. We're totally going to beat him. Mm-hmm. It's going to be you and me again. And then you realize, like, oh, uh, yeah, it is going to be you and me but just you and me and we're going to fight a bunch of vampires is actually what we're doing. (laughs) Good luck to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that turns out terribly. That to me felt like, Oh yeah, George, that still feels like George. And then the third one was like, this feels like a happy ending that like George doesn't know how to write. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not that it was uh, that happy, but what I was trying to say in the debate to one point, I do want to make sure I make is there's a couple of things I liked about the vampires that were for, fairly unique. Yeah. That was mostly the vampire children. That, yeah, fair. Uh, um, like the difficulty of them making children and how that was so important and how vampire sex is like lethal. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he did a pretty cool job with that kind of stuff um, and how it was like so important to Joshua York to try to preserve the vampire race and why they were dying off. I thought all that was kind of pretty unique. Like it wasn't just because of humans. It was also because of themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was the most unique probably. And then I liked his take on the thrall trope with yeah. uh, Sour Billy. Yeah. Like, Sour Billy was just a disgusting person and like uh, willing to do absolutely anything to become a vampire and, He's just being strung along because humans can't be turned into vampires. They're two different species, and it just doesn't work like that. But the the evil vampires under uh, under um, the evil vampires under Damon Julian just go along with that. People believing that myth and <laughs> use it to to string along thralls. Which, again, like, a th- the Thrall is a fairly common trope. They play on it in, like, what we do in the shadows. And, yeah. But I thought that Sour Billy was a cool take on it because it was like, this is the kind of person that would murder people for his own power, and you get to see him get his just just desserts. 
Well, it's kind of interesting. We have two different readings of, of Sour Billy here. And like, I think they're both correct, but I didn't find Sour Billy original, but I loved Sour Billy because I thought he was a direct um, tribute to R.M. Renfield from Dracula. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what when i've like first met him in that book i was like oh this is such a renfield this is like eating a rat in the prison cells disgusting like will do anything to just clamor to dracula's feet mm-hmm. and you are right that like dracula's promise actually could have happened where renfield could have been turned but also when you read dracula you know the whole time like renfield's not gonna get turned like dracula no doesn't- <laughs> doesn't give a crap about Renfield. <laughs> like, so I thought that was like, I, I it read to me like a tribute to to the OG vampire from Martin. I agree. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess what made Sour Billy feel unique is he did still kind of gain some power from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas Renfield, like you're saying, is like bowing and scraping. Sour Billy is actually a pretty powerful figure hit most of his life till he's like old Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but then he's like he's starting to realize like i don't know if i'm gonna get turned and i don't know if i want to live forever now that i'm freaking 80 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like (laughs) and it feels good to see him get his just desserts because he's a terrible person he's still martin always slips in one death that just infuriates me though i can't remember who what the name of the one like the The guy with the saber yeah, that like shovels yeah, the, the coal. Oh, the uh, yeah, the the boat boss. Yeah, and Sour Billy kills him, and I was just like, "Damn it, Martin!" <laughs> yeah. He was you a always... great character, the Irish guy. Yeah, you always kill my favorites. Um, always, always. That's what he makes him for. Yep. But, but yeah. Overall, I mean, yeah, Fever Dream is a great book. It has great atmosphere. Great world builder. Great world builder. Uh, I definitely would suggest it. It's not even close to my favorite of his work that mm-hmm. I've read, which is significantly less than you. But um, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, if you like vampires and you like like Deep South history, if you like boats, <laughs> or if you just like George Martin's writing style or any combination of all those factors, this book will satisfy you for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a podcast, everybody. Indeed. Thank you for tuning into Sinister Soup this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please let us know. You can find me at clavermolenfiction.com. There's a contact page there. Uh, you can also join my newsletter. Those are both ways to get in direct contact with me. And if you join my newsletter, you get a free short story every single month. Hey. And you get to vote on which uh, monster is featured in that short story by voting on the Instagram polls, which are curated by Travis. So, Travis, where can they find you on Instagram? What pages? Um, at T. Vermolum OG and at Sinister Soup Podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm also back active on TikTok. So, oh, yeah. Every week I've been just been like, oh, you know, I'm on TikTok, but it's not that. I'm going to try and stay active on there so at t vermolum at tiktok look for some book reviews i'm hoping to do more yeah and we're also doing a sinister soup podcast on instagram is mostly book reviews at this point 
mm-hmm. um, plus promotions for our podcast shows and the upcoming featured authors of the month. So make sure you follow us there and you can always see what's coming up next. Till next week, I have been Clay Vermullum. And I have been Travis Vermullum. And we are both still those people. Have a good spooky month. Have one indeed. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>